is an honor because, uh, you know, we have to be a little bit particular as pastors about uh, who we allow to stand and, and present the gospel. Uh, and uh, so I, I appreciate your pastor and him having confidence in me and allowing me to, to be here with you this morning. I appreciate you all allowing me to be your director of missions for the Marion County Baptist Association. Uh, and it is a privilege. Uh, I enjoy what I do. Uh, and, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God is doing with our association. I'm thankful for the times that we can come together in evangelistic emphasis and we can, uh, we can see folks uh, grow closer to the Lord and we can see folks come to know Jesus because that's what it's all about, isn't it? If it becomes about anything else, we need to just go home, don't we? It's all got to be about Him. It's real easy to get caught up into uh, our wants, isn't it? It's real easy to get caught up in what we think. But I, I have learned, if there's one thing that I've learned in my 30 plus years of, of trying to do what I'm trying to do, it's that uh, what I want and what I think doesn't matter. What matters is what God wants and what God's Word has to say. And that's what matters. And what I have to do is to try to continuously get myself lined up with what God's Word has to say. And if I'll do that, then we'll all find out what God wants, won't we? So uh, I'm thankful this morning to be here and excited about what God has given me to... Uh, to uh, share with us today. Uh, Teresa sends her regrets and her apologies. She just wasn't feeling well this morning, and uh, so she stayed at home. But she said to tell you, y'all know Teresa, she said to tell you she loves you, and uh, she'll see you soon. But uh, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read verses uh, 53 through 58. And I want to talk to you on uh, the question this morning of what moves the hand of God? What moves the hand of God? Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. Everybody there? Give me a nod if you're there. There we go, all right. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, <coughs> Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And notice verse 58, real close. And he did not many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. Pause with me a moment and let's pray together. Father God, it is always my joy and my privilege to be allowed to come into your almighty presence. 
Lord, I'm so unworthy. I'm unworthy of your salvation, but God, you saved me anyway. I'm unworthy of this privilege that you allow me to preach. But God, you allow me to do it anyway. And you called me anyway. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you for the privilege to be allowed to preach just one more time. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that this church is reaching the lost and dying of this world and this community. And I pray for her and I pray for her pastor and, and, and his family. That God, you will bless this ministry and this people. Now, Father, it's not an accident or by chance that you have brought us here together in this building today. Lord, you have a, we each have a divine appointment with you this morning. For some, maybe, Lord, they're just lost without Christ and they need to be saved. And it's my prayer that they'll be saved today. For others, Father, who know you, maybe there's hurt or anguish or pain. Maybe there's rejoicing and worship and joy. Maybe it's a time to grow. Father, only you know. But you tell us your word does not return to you void. So, Father, I pray that none of us will be the same when we leave from here as we were when we came. Use me as your servant today, Father, and bless Brother Israel as he preaches in another pulpit this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. What do an airplane, a bicycle, and a church have in common? Any ideas? If either one of them stops moving forward, you're in trouble. Why? I asked myself the question this week. God, I, I, God just kept bringing it to my heart, Steve. And, and so I asked myself the question uh, a lot this week. Why do some churches seem to experience much of God while others seem to sit idly by or are declining? Then I began to ask myself a few more questions. I, I said, well, is it the style of worship, maybe traditional versus contemporary? And I had to say, no, because there's all different types of worship. And, and, and all that the Bible has to say about worship is that we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And you can do that regardless of the style of worship that's presented. Amen? So then I asked myself the question, is it the preaching? Well, there's all types of preaching. Is there one that's greater than another or one that's better than another? Well, the answer to that is yes, because Paul told Timothy to preach the word. So really... It, the answer is yes and no, because as long as someone is preaching the Word, it does not matter the way that the Word is presented. Some people are monotone. They speak kind of low and slow. Other people are like me. 
God blessed me with this big old mouth and I can't help it, but I make no apologies for it, okay? Because this is what God's given me. And this is what I'm gonna use to his glory. But the most important thing, and it's up for you folks to judge that, by the way, is to make sure that what comes out of the pulpit is the word of God. Not what I think, not what you think, not what I want, not what you want, but what thus saith the Lord God. That's what's most important. So, I ask myself, is it the programs? Or is it the nice buildings? Or is it the budgets? More money maybe? If we had one more program or one more building or a little bit more money, maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that. Folks, the Bible does not say go ye therefore if you have enough money in your budget, does it? That's not what the Word of God says. All of those things are good and wonderful things, okay? They're all great things. But if we substitute all of those things for what the church really needs, then the Bible tells us that that becomes a weight upon the church. Over in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, listen to verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so many great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So, so what, what do we need? What do we need? Verse 2 tells us, says, Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. There is our answer. What do we need? We need more God. That's what we need in all of our churches. We need more God. When visitors come, y'all, they don't understand our plans, procedures, or programs. And they don't want to know about our plans, procedures, or programs. Y'all, they want to know our God. I really believe that we need to be reintroduced to the mightiness of God. Do we understand today that God is still the same God that parted the Red Sea? Do we understand today that God is still the same God that walked up into the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they walked out of there and didn't even smell like smoke? Do we understand that God can do anything that God wants to do? How many of you have experienced something that the only thing that you can say is, that was God? I want to tell you something. The last three years have been nothing short of a nightmare for my family. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there or you're there right now. Teresa's been in the hospital seven times in the last three years. Two of those, the doctor specifically told me she shouldn't have come out. 
just amazing things that God has shown us. God is still mighty. God can still move mountains. God can still do amazing things. Church, have we forgotten who God is? I hope and pray we never forget who our God is. How many of you have been delivered from something? Me. Most of you didn't know me years ago when I was in my 20s. You better praise God for it. You wouldn't have liked me. I was far from anything but a preacher. But God. But God. He can deliver you. He'll change your life. That's the mighty God that I serve. I don't know about this weak, watered-down God that I'm hearing about, but I know the one that can take an alcoholic and strip it away from him and say, you're no longer hooked on that stuff anymore. Now go preach for me. That's the God that I know. That's how mighty my God is. And I know many people have their many opinions about alcohol, but uh, I have my own and I don't make any reservations about that simply because I know what it did to my life and how it destroyed me and almost destroyed my family. That stuff is from the devil. Believe what you want to. I know I've lived it. Whew, I'm, I'm running a rabbit. I need to get back on course, don't I? Y'all gonna run me out of here. Whew. Listen, God's mighty. God can do anything that God wants to do. And if we're teaching or preaching anything else other than that, we're wrong. We just got to get a hold of that. And if we can, then folks will come. But it has to begin with God. So there's a question that the church, and when I say the church, I include me in that. Not just Mount Zion, but I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a question that the church has to answer today. And, and that question is, what is it that is quenching the power of God in our churches today? Well, I'm going to try to answer that question with the Word of God today, okay? First of all, if there is no vision, there is no power in the church. In the, in the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18, it tells us that without a vision the people perish, right? It's vision that gives us purpose and it gives us direction, it gives us hope, it gives us courage, it gives us motivation. Folks, an architect envisions a building before the plans are drawn or our construction ever begins. A farmer envisions a crop before he ever breaks the ground. A mom and dad envision many things for their children even before they're born. What do you envision for this church? What do you envision for the church that God has placed you in? We have to envision the pews filled to overflowing and, and, and even having to consider a larger worship area because the people are just coming in the droves. 
We have to envision people out winning the lost. Folks, the world is not gonna come to the church. That's why God told us to go into the highways and into the byways and into the hedges and compel them to come in. Folks, compelling people to come in is getting down to where they are and begging and pleading and saying, listen, there's a place called heaven and it's real and you can go there. There's a place called hell and it's real and you're gonna go there if you don't accept Jesus. We gotta beg and plead with people and compel them to come to the Lord. We've got to envision people, the church going out and being in the church in a lost and dying world. We've got to be able to see that. But how do we get there from here? Well, first we've got to get a vision of Jesus. Of how that He left heaven and came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He was born fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect sinless life upon this world. Because of that, smart human beings took him, they abused him, they beat him, and they took him up on a hill called Golgotha, and they hung him on a Roman cross, and there he suffered and he bled, and he died for my sin. That's it. That's the only reason. I couldn't pay. I can't do enough good things to make God say, hey, oh Keith, he's doing it. Look at him. He's just earned him a spot in glory. No, even at my best, my righteousness is filthy rags before God. I can't do enough. I can't get there. So Jesus did enough for all of us. But not only did he die, Here's the, here's the cool part. They put him in a grave. And three days later, we know what happened, don't we? He overcame death, hell, and the grave for us. For us. We've got to get a vision of Jesus as victor. Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus who is worthy to be worshipped and praised. Jesus who can save. We must believe that. And then as we believe that, go professing that. What else do we got to get a vision of? We got to get a vision of perishing souls. Do we understand today that anybody without Christ is headed to an awful place called hell? It's not real popular to preach on hell, okay, but I don't back up from it because it's a reality. People are perishing. People are going to end up in an awful place called hell if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the only way they're going to hear about Jesus is if we go tell them. We've got to get a vision of the lostness of the world that we live in and it's got to matter to us. What else? Well, we just got to get a vision of eternity. We love to think about heaven, don't we? The beauty of it, the glory of it, our family and friends who have gone on before, but the greatest thing about heaven is God's there, right? And we're going to get to see Him one day. You know that every human being is going to have an eternity? Every human being is going to have an eternity. 
Destination, destination, destination. That's what's most important. There are two destinations for eternity. One is heaven, the wonderful place that we like to think of. The other is called hell. And it is a place created for Satan and his demons. But if a human being chooses not to accept Christ and his salvation, then that person is going to spend eternity in a place called hell where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. We've got to see the reality of eternity. And eternity, folks, is forever and forever and forever and forever. There's no get out of jail free card or anything like that. It's forever. And once you land there, that's where you land. You know, and the older that I get, the more that I realize and understand what that verse is talking about in the Bible that says that this life is a vapor. It's like a vapor and then it's gone. My goodness, how quickly, how quickly that life gets by. I mean, it seems like yesterday that my kids were this high. And now they're both married and and living their lives and and I've lost all of my hair and... and, uh, you know, I mean, getting older and and got aches and I get up in the morning and, and used to I'd hop out of the bed and take off and now I swing around on the side of the bed and this is the way I get up. You know, anybody relate? This life gets by so quick. But eternity is forever. It doesn't end. And I want you to know this morning that there is, a way, there, there is a way to avoid hell. But the only way to avoid hell is to accept Christ. And then you're guaranteed heaven, which is the glory. All right, let me get on past that because I've got a few more points to make. And y'all, y'all will run me off. I, get, I mess up somebody's lunch, won't you? So first off, we talked about... Uh, it, If there is no vision, there is no power. Next, let's talk about if there is no prayer, there is no power. Often we wonder why things fall apart. But but folks, do we understand today that prayer is the way that we wage war? And I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep or God is great, God is good. Now that's wonderful prayers to teach your children to pray, okay? To, to start them out and teach your children to pray. But as we mature in Christ, I'm talking about getting in the closet one-on-one with God and speaking to God and letting God direct our lives. Satan's number one weapon against the church is Christians who won't pray. But a lot of times we won't pray because we've got weights in our life like we read about back in Hebrews chapter 12. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 66 and verse 18? It says, If I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Ooh. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? But we've got to take the word for truth, right? Prayer, folks, is reaching into the darkness with the hand of God. We have to learn how to pray again. 
We have to learn how to pray without ceasing. Talk to God all day long. That's the only way we're going to find out what God wants for us and what He wants for us to do, how He wants to handle things, how He wants us to do things, is to talk to God. No vision, no power. No prayer, no power. Number three, if there is no faith, there is no power. You know, the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Wow. But we operate apart from faith and then we expect God to bless us. Do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? She said, if I could just get to Jesus and just touch the hem of His garment, then I would be made whole. You know what Jesus told her? Oh, no, I, I want to back up a minute. Something's always amazed me. There was people. There was a big crowd of people there that day when she was trying to dig through that crowd to get to Jesus. There was people bumping into Jesus and everything else, but one person got what they came for, and why did she get it? Faith, absolutely, faith. Jesus told her, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Remember the centurion servant? Jesus told that centurion he, he, he hadn't seen greater faith in all of Israel than what he's seen in that centurion because he, he told the Lord, he said, you don't even have to go and see my servant. All you got to do is, is do your thing and, and I know that they'll be healed. Jesus said, I hadn't seen this greater faith in all of Israel. And it comes from a Roman soldier. Great faith will always do at least three things. It will always get God's attention. It will always get a response from God. And it will always reap a great move of God. When Jesus raised Lazarus, He told Martha, He said... Uh, did I, not, did I not tell you that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God? Folks, we need to see the glory of God today. We really do. We need to see the glory of God today in our churches. We need to see the glory of God in Hamilton, Alabama. We need to see the glory of God in Marion County, Alabama. We need to see the glory of God in Alabama. We need to see the glory of God in the United States of America. We need to see the glory of God around the world. Well, no vision, no power. No prayer, no power. No faith, no power. Finally, what I came up with as I was praying about this is if there is no care, there is no power in the church. One thing that concerns me a lot is 
It seems that we're no longer broken over the fact that many people around us are lost without Christ. It's real easy to get numb and it's real easy to get a hard heart sitting in the Lord's house every time the doors are open. Circumstances can cause us to become that way. Moses pleaded to God to be struck from the book of life on behalf of the children of Israel. That's always amazed me. That he loved people that much that he was willing to allow God to strike him from the book of life if he would just spare Israel. Wow. Jesus went to the cross because of compassion for people who hated him. Jesus agonized over the lost in the garden with groanings and with tears. That's something that I don't see a whole lot of today. And I ask myself the question, me, I ask me this question. Where are the tears? Where are the tears? Where are the tears for the lost that are looking for hope in a sin-sick world? You know, I, I can remember as a kid growing up, Harmony Grove Baptist Church where my dad pastored. I can remember, and what stand, I know there were other people, but what stands out in my mind, I think, is those little old ladies. Worst thing in the world that could ever happen to you is get that group of little old ladies praying for you. But y'all, I, I can remember them after dad preached getting in the altar. And y'all, you could hear them praying now. And they'd call you by name. But when they would get up, there would be a wet place in the carpet. And it was their tears. Where they had wept over the lostness of people or over sickness, or over a home that's falling apart, or some burden, or, 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 or maybe they wept in joy because God had answered a prayer. I asked myself, where are the tears? Where are the tears? For the lost. Where are the tears for the people who are addicted? That's running rampant right now, isn't it? Where are the tears for the people who are hurting? I mean, praise God for reversal of Roe v. Wade, amen? But what about all the millions upon millions of babies that were murdered prior to that? Where are the tears? Where are the tears? Where are the tears for the garbage that we bring into our living rooms on our TVs, the pornography, the foul language, the violence, the sexual perversion? Where are the tears? Where are the tears for those caught up in homosexuality and lesbianism? I, I forget what they call it now. It's L-B-G-T-Q-A-B-C-D-E-F-G, I think. They keep adding letters to it. I can't keep up with all of them. But it's, it, it, 
we laugh about that, but it's awful. And it's become accepted in our society. And it ought to break our heart and make us weep. Because Satan has just blinded. And we ought to be reaching out and trying to help those come up out of the sin. And the ungodliness. And show them Jesus. Folks, if Jesus can walk off into a fiery furnace and bring three boys out and they not even smell like smoke, he can lift this old boy up out of the sin and ungodliness that he was sitting in and he can lift people up that are in sin and ungodliness today. Where are the tears? Where are the tears for our homes that are falling apart? Where are the tears for the coldness that we feel sometimes in our churches? Where are the tears for the lostness of our nation? Folks, where are the tears? I've asked myself that question. Keith, where are your tears? I'm saying, I'm, I'm telling you, this is a we sermon, okay? I've asked myself that question over and over again. Keith, where are your tears? What's happened to you? Why have you grown so cold that you can't even weep over the lostness of an ungodly dying world? Where are the tears? And the only answer I could come up with is there are no tears because we've grown cold. I'm going to end with this. When I was a kid growing up at Harmony Grove, I lived on the wrong side of the tracks. Railroad track runs through Winfield there and uh, train would come through every night at the same time late about midnight or after and y'all know what trains do when they come through come across crossings right they lay down on the horn right and Winfield's got two so every night they laying down on that horn we didn't live too far from that train and we lived even closer to the cotton mill And at every shift change at the cotton mill, guess what they did? They laid down on the horn. I had some people to ask me some one time when I was younger, how in the world do you ever sleep with all that racket going on all night long? I said, what racket? I had become so accustomed and so used to those horns going off Now, back then, we didn't have air conditioners, y'all, and so we slept with the windows raised. And a fan in the window, y'all remember? Any of y'all, you kids don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but some of y'all older folks know what I'm talking about. Sleep all night long and never heard a single train whistle go off, never heard a single whistle go off from the cotton mill. The reason for that is because I had gotten used to it. I had become accustomed to it to the point that it didn't bother me. I fear that's where we are as the church today. We have become so accustomed to sin and ungodliness and filth that it doesn't affect us anymore.
We can't weep over it anymore. We can't hurt over it anymore because we're used to it. At the end of all of this though, y'all, we got to remember. People are going to die and go to hell if we don't care. You ask me what the number one mission of the church is above everything. Look, meals are wonderful. I think every church ought to have as many fellowship meals as they can. I like to eat. Okay? Meals are wonderful. Bible studies are phenomenal. Preaching is cool. I like to do it. I have a captive audience for a while, you know. But none of that is the most important thing that we do as the church. None of it. The most important thing we do as the church is to go and tell some lost person about Jesus. And be broken about it while we're going. 